This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI TV. Good morning. It's Thursday, September the 15th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Doug Earl from Fighting Blindness Canada chats about Inherited Eye Disease Awareness Month, the first annual first of its kind so we'll talk to Doug about that Sean Price of Double Tap Canada or of just Double Tap shares his thoughts on Soundcore Frames a pair of audio glasses by Anchor and Don Dickinson will be here with a preview of McLean's magazine you'll also hear from Karen McGee with the Central Regional Report Karen's still licking her wounds from a news quiz loss on Tuesday Let's begin the show with our top story of the day, and it's coming from the world of cyber threats. A new academic analysis has identified at least 75 foreign-led cyber attacks on Canadian institutions. Emily Javesky lays out the findings. The analysis by researchers at the University of Quebec at Montreal focuses on events linked primarily to global rivalries and strategic competition. Targets include Canadian public authorities, the general public, research institutions and companies, individuals or international organizations based in Canada. Cyber espionage directed at state secrets and intellectual property, as well as the targeted surveillance of individuals, accounted for 49 of the 75 incidents analyzed by the Centre. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. And let's follow up on a story that I shared with you yesterday. Indigenous community members, federal ministers, and Catholic Church representatives gathered in Edmonton for the first national gathering on unmarked graves. Special interlocutor Kimberly Murray discussed how best to approach this process. The work of recovery can be done in ways that respect Indigenous protocols and honours the children, families, survivors, and communities. Is that a model that we can build here in Canada? Murray encouraged institutions to be proactive and conduct their own audits. I would encourage all those institutions to actually look in their archives and do the work so that and, and not sit back waiting for communities to say, can we get in there and look? Because we know that some of these institutions are, have records. They may not even know they have records. The three-day Edmonton gathering wrapped up yesterday. The next gathering will take place in Winnipeg in November. Looking at international news, the Ukrainian flag has been raised in a city reclaimed by the country's military after a Russian retreat. Charles de Ledesma has the latest. As President Volodymyr Zelensky looked on and sang the national anthem, he watched as his country's flag rose on Wednesday above the recaptured city of Izum, making a rare foray outside the capital that highlights Moscow's embarrassing retreat from a Ukrainian counter-offensive. Russian forces left the war-scarred city last week as Kiev's soldiers pressed a stunning advance that reclaimed large swaths of territory in Ukraine's northeastern Kharkiv region. I'm Charles de Ledesma. 
Let's come back to a story in regards to affordability and consumer spending. A new study shows Canadians are changing slightly or charging slightly less to their primary credit cards than they did a year ago. J.D. Power's survey of over 6,000 Canadians found the average consumer spent $1,144 per month on their primary credit card this year. That's down $11 from a year ago. The survey did show that cash, debit and other non-credit card related spending is up 51% this year. The consumer data also found 36% of credit card customers would consider other financing options such as personal or installment loans and buy now pay later services when making large purchases. And let's wrap up here with some news about the Queen. The late Queen Elizabeth will be the focus of a special sitting of the House of Commons later today. Karen Rebo looks ahead. Members of Parliament of all political stripes are expected to rise in tribute to the late monarch. The House Speaker is recalling MPs from their summer break early to commemorate the Queen and her historic 70-year reign. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is slated to kick off the speeches, and Pierre Polyev will address the Commons for the first time as leader of the official opposition Conservative Party. Leaders of the NDP and Bloc Québécois are also expected to speak. Other MPs will then get their turn, and depending on how many wish to rise... The proceedings could continue tomorrow morning. The normal operations of the House will resume on Tuesday, the day after the Queen's official state funeral in London. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. Let's get to our daily polls. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. On Wednesday, we asked you, should there be more statutory holidays in Canada? 56% of you said yes. 44% of you said no at Accessible Media on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. That's where you can chime in on our daily polls, kind of like today's daily poll. Of course, we're going to be talking to Sean Priest about these Anchor Soundcore frames a little bit later in the show that use a bone conduction technology in terms of offering sound to the user. So I want to know, what style of headphones do you prefer? In-ear, over-ear, bone conduction, or no preference? For years... I would have told you that I was an over-the-ear person because I've told you before, my ears are weird. They don't take most uh, earbuds or AirPods well. So I liked the over-the-ear. But over time, I found a couple brands and a couple styles that work and don't fall out or give me too intense a squeeze. So I would say that my preference at this point is the in-ear even for things like working out. For a long time, I even opposed the in-ear for working out. But finally, we kind of got there. So I've officially jumped into the in-ear town. I do keep one over-ear pair for when I'm traveling or when I'm dealing with stuff that might be a little bit uh, unusual, maybe going for a longer run where the earbud may fall out of my ear and then gosh knows where it's going to go. So over-the-ear is still there, but I would say my preference is in-ear. Of course, any keen viewer right now is watching and saying, Dave, you're, you're wearing over-the-ear headphones right now. Well, that, that, that's industry standard. That's just me trying to, you know, fit in and look cool. Let's go to Alexander Smythe. Alex, what do you think? What's your preference when it comes to a headphone? First off, I thought I was in trouble there. I, I normally don't hear my full name being called before <laughs> I get summoned. So I thought, oh, am I getting called to the principal's office? No. Um, I'm, I'm kind of similar to you, Dave. You know, for a long time, I uh, kind of, Early on, I would try the in-ear um, uh, earbuds and uh, things like that. But I found living with hearing loss and having hearing aids, it makes things a lot more complicated. Um, I know 
the bone conduction uh, headphones are supposed to be for people with hearing loss. They're supposed to be really uh, um, good to use in, in that regard, but I also wear glasses. And so, you know, do I really want another kind of pair that kind of is going to get in the way with the glasses and all that uh, headache? So like I'm wearing right now, over ear is typically how I go, but it's so specific because with hearing aids, you know, it adds and, and changes the shape. As you say, you know, it's shopping now for the right pair of headphones is such a uh, a minefield. You got to figure out, okay, well, this one looks good. Oh, this one sounds good, uh, but it doesn't quite fit right. Oh, this one's a bit too tight. Oh, this one's a bit too big. This one's a bit too small. Oh, it squeezes my head too much. It's all these factors now <laughs> that you have to consider. And it's just like, I just want a good pair of headphones that fit my ears and doesn't crush my head when I'm wearing them. Is that too much to ask? Let, let alone price range, Alex. One of the jokes around no. here is that I don't spend any money on my headphones. <laughs> I tend to spend under $50. And then you go to some of these uh, big box retailer websites and we're looking at $200, 250 300 for headphones. So let alone uh, let alone the price and then of course the other factors that you have to uh, factor in as well. There's no doubt about that one. Alex, I'm interested, I'm interested that you mentioned the fact that you are also a glasses user. So therefore bone conduction glasses may not be the most comfortable thing for you. I'm going to be following up with Sean in this interview to understand whether or not we can actually replace the lenses in these things. These, these anchor sound core, anchor sound frame, anchor frame cores, whatever they're called. We're going yeah. to talk. I'm going to see if, the, if there's any possibility of can we put prescription in there? Is that an option? Because then that might actually end up being a really useful turn of events. But we'll deal with that with Sean a little bit later in the show. Thanks, Alex. We'll come back to you for the weather in a second. But in the meantime, let's go to Eliza Rocco. Eliza, what do you think? Do you have a preference when it comes to headphones? Well, my problem with headphones is that I have very tiny ears, like abnormally small ears. So when looking for headphones, the big issue with in-ear headphones is that they have to fit in my ear and not fall out. Mm -hmm. Luckily for me, I have found that AirPods work fantastic for my tiny little ears. <laughs> Thank goodness. But whether I tend towards tend to go towards in-ear or over-ear, it really depends on what I'm doing. If I'm working out, if it's like a day-to-day -day use, I'm going to go with my trusty AirPods. But if I'm doing any kind of work, it's always over the ear. I do a lot of editing work and the over-the-ear headphones just are amazing for that kind of work. Yeah, that's just industry standard right there. There's no it doubt is. about that one. Eliza, thank you for this. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the show. Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media on Twitter, is where you vote on the poll. You can also find us on Facebook, at Accessible Media Inc. You can jump into the comments section or reply to the tweets or share the tweets and get your friends involved if you want to. If social media is not your thing, we understand. A lot of you have unplugged from that nature of communication and media. So you can always send us an email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. And if email is too modern for you, you can always go real old school and pick up the phone, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. And if you did make that phone call on a rotary phone, I want to hear about it. <laughs> I would love to know if one of you out there is still using a rotary phone to make these voicemails because then you are the oldest of old school and I respect that retro deep deep retro let's go back to Alex Smythe he has the national weather update here's your national weather report from Environment Canada starting in St. John's Newfoundland there's scattered showers this morning 
turning to a mix of sun and clouds with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 20. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly sunny with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers an hour and a high of 17. In Montreal, Quebec, it's sunny and a high of 17. In Ottawa, Ontario, it's sunny as well and a high of 16. Toronto, Ontario, sunny as well and this time it's a high of 19. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's cloudy turning to rain later this morning with possible thunderstorms. A rainfall warning is in effect in the area with up to 80 millimeters expected by the end of Saturday. It's also a high of 17. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, showers with possible thunderstorms this morning, then turning to cloudy in the afternoon and a high of 17. In Saskatchewan, uh, in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's a mix of sun and clouds and a high of 19. In Calgary, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds with possible rain and thunderstorms this afternoon. There's also an air quality statement in effect due to the smoke in the area, and there's a high of 22. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds and hazy with a high of 22. Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, it's mainly sunny and a high of 18. Vancouver, BC, it's a mix of sunny clouds, hazy with a high of 20. Finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's a mix of sun and cloud and hazy in the afternoon with a high of 19. That was your AMI uh, National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Doug Earl from Fighting Blindness Canada will tell you all about Inherited Eye Disease Awareness Month, the first ever of its kind. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. September is the first annual Inherited Retinal Disease Awareness Month in Canada, which was made possible by the efforts of Fighting Blindness Canada. Doug Earl is the president and CEO of the FBC and is here to tell you all about it. Hey, good morning, Doug. Great to chat with you once again. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. So, Doug, let's uh, start with the why. Why was it important to give Inherited Retinal Disease its own Awareness Month? Well, this is an amazing moment in time uh, for the inherited retinal uh, disease community. Uh, we're seeing uh, lab discoveries become uh, treatments, uh, re- reality. I know with the first approved gene therapy, with uh, we're tracking over 80 clinical trials around the world as new treatments are being tested and evolved. Uh, and, and there's so many uh, important things to share uh, with the community about importance of genetic testing, uh, and and we have some public uh, viewpoints as well to help uh, spread the information about uh, upcoming treatments and research underway. So it's so we have a lot to tell, and we needed a month to do it. So that's the why side, and you mentioned some of the really encouraging research that's going along. So what is this month going to include for people who are interested to learn more? Uh, well, we have a number of initiatives. Uh, first and foremost is the first approved uh, gene therapy for uh, humankind that uh, 
that uh, Health Canada approved uh, in October 2020. Uh, it's still not publicly funded, so we launched an approvelixterna.ca website. So that's approvelixterna.ca, and and that's where you can send an email to the Premier Health Minister uh, to get that first treatment for an inherited retinal disease. If your if your blindness is caused by RPE65 gene. Uh, then it replaces that gene with the functioning one. And for over 90% of the people, they had their night vision restored. Uh, the second piece is uh, happening on September 22nd. Uh, we're holding one of our Viewpoint webinars with Dr. Daniel Chung from Sparling Vision. And he's talking about gene agnostic therapies. Uh, his company just raised $75 million to help bring uh, two treatments uh, into clinical trial stage. Uh, where it doesn't depend on your gene, uh, and it's targeting uh, areas. Uh, research has shown that uh, that can slow down and 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 stop uh, further vision loss. So we're very excited about Dr. Chung. He's the guy that actually developed the test that the FDA accepted to allow uh, Luxterna to be approved uh, to show how effective the treatment was in in night vision. And then at the end of the month, on October 2nd, in the Toronto Reference Library, we're holding an in-person viewpoint. Uh, we have a full day of uh, stem cells, AMD research, IRD uh, uh, research that's happening with, uh, with three researchers. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Curtis from Sunnybrook, Dr. Chabon from uh, St. Justine in Montreal. So we have quite a full day talking about uh, vision uh, related to upcoming treatments and and research. It's it's almost a walk down memory lane for me there, Doug, as you mentioned a couple of these researchers that we're going to hear from over the course of this month, because these are folks that I've had the opportunity to interview uh, piecemeal over the years. And it's really encouraging to see some of this funding and some of this research come to fruition. But as we head into this month, beyond the excitement, what are some of the core issues that the FBC and these researchers want addressed in regards to either public knowledge or public awareness as we move beyond just the September? Yeah, um, there's a couple of things I would say to that, uh, Dave. For, first off, uh, you know, we are uh, looking at, uh, at the need, urgent need for a national eye care strategy so that people can access good vision care in this country, coast to coast to coast. And, and so we're very fortunate. Uh, the Honorable Judy Scroll, an MP, uh, has introduced a, a bill, Bill C-284, and we've created a website called iCareStrategies.ca. So that's iCareStrategies.ca. And you can send a, an email to your MP, it takes about a minute, uh, to send that email to encourage them to support Bill 284 and for us to get uh, a national eye care strategy. You know, when, when you think that the, the eco social economic impact of uh, vision loss in Canada is about $32.9 billion a year, uh, and that in a billion dollar budget that the Canadian Institutes of Health Research has from the federal government, uh, we could only find about $20 million worth of vision research happening. So we need a critical investment in vision research to make sure that Canada is at the forefront, that we're able to bring these uh, clinical trials so people can get early access to the treatment, and also that, that we can have an expedited system so that these tr treatments, like, like the first gene therapy approved almost two years ago and still not publicly funded, Luxterna, 
that uh, that is that would be able to uh, spark that growth with an investment in vision research. Um, and then the other part of it is, is genetic testing for the inherited renal disease community. Uh, it is so important uh, that if you have an inherited retinal disease, you're one of those 21,000 Canadians that are living with these, these type of conditions, that, that you get a genetic test. And the reason for that is one, you know, just to know and, and also to be able to investigate through uh, fightingblindness.ca's website uh, about your disease, share your journey as you've uh, been uh, living with this condition, your, your treatment journey, your uh, engagement uh, life. Uh, we, we take that information and provide it to uh, government decision makers to help get new treatments uh, approved. Uh, we uh, look at, uh, we encourage you once you get your genetic test done, you join the patient registry because it, it was actually the patient registry that identified five Canadians with, with that RPE65 gene that went down to Philadelphia and where actually it was one third of the participants came from Canada because of our patient registry. And they, they were treated uh, with one in one of their eyes with the first inhuman safety trial. So the, these for the RPE65 and that the results of that clinical trial was, was used to convince uh, Health Canada to approve Lixterna here in Canada. So the, these are very important things. Uh, getting a new eye care strategy, uh, increasing research funding so that we can find new treatments uh, to restore sight for the 1.2 million Canadians that have uncorrectable vision loss. We don't have treatments right now. To prevent blindness for the 8 million Canadians, the one in five that are living with a blinding eye disease. And then lastly, uh, to help support genetic testing so that we can help people if they want, or for next for the next generation, uh, have treatment options that, that we don't have today. So Doug, before uh, I move on to a couple other events that you guys are doing, just remind us of the website where folks should go to learn more about that or get involved in some of this advocacy. Uh, so icarestrategy.ca uh, is where you can send uh, an email to your MP to encourage them to support Build 285 and, and have a new eye care strategy in Canada and approve lixterna.ca uh, in order to access, uh, send an email to the Premier and Health Minister in your province so that we can, the 40 Canadians on the waiting list can get access to Luxterna. That's really important work, really important advocacy. We definitely encourage folks to stay up to date with that one. Doug, while I've got you here, though, I just want to touch briefly on some of the other exciting stuff going around uh, Fighting Blindness Canada, especially after a busy summer with Cycle for Sight coming back and Ride for Sight coming back. The fun doesn't stop there because you guys have a couple events coming down the pipeline here. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're back again. The, our, our signature comic vision. Uh, is is back October 27th. We're headlining with Rick Mercer uh, to and here in Toronto, and then on November 4th we're out in Vancouver uh, showcasing the comedic talent in Vancouver. Uh, so so that's encourage people. They can find out more at FightingBlindness.ca, um, and then of course I would encourage people to go to the register for the webinar on September 22nd uh, with Dr. Daniel Trung on gene agnostic therapies. And you, and you can do that uh, through fightingblindness.ca and our uh, event uh, category. Uh, and, and on October 2nd, we're in person at the Toronto Reference Library with a full day of uh, sharing the amazing moment in time in vision research 
as these as these lab discoveries are becoming treatment realities. And I'll remind folks as well, as a couple of our community reporters have mentioned, including Shani Saravanamuthu, the Young Leaders Summit coming up in mid-October oh, in Toronto yes. as well. So, my gosh, you guys stay busy through and through. Never never a dull day in your life, eh, Doug? Never. <laughs> that, that is an understatement there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we're all the more appreciative that you could make some time to be with us today. And we'll talk to you again uh, down the road. And best of luck with all these events and webinars over the course of the next six, seven weeks. Great. Thank you. That is Doug Earl. He is the president and CEO of Fighting Blindness Canada. And of course, if you want to learn more about the work that Fighting Blindness is doing, fightingblindness.ca is where you can go, fightingblindness.ca. So lots of websites there, lots of information for you. And you know the place where you can go to round all that, all that up. It's our blog, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. Coming up next. Don Dickinson will chat about a recent article in McLean's by Brian Bethune about world-renowned architect Moshe Safdie. But first, here is Canadian Press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index closed in the green yesterday, due in part to gains in the energy sector, while U.S. markets also managed to rise the day after posting their worst session in over two years. Toronto's TSX index rose 80 points to 19,726. New York's Dow Jones average added 30 points, and the Nasdaq gained 86. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index rose 57 points, and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 75.93 cents U.S. A newly released ranking of the Toronto Stock Exchange's top performers shows just how dominant Canadian oil and gas stocks have been so far this year. The TSX 30 is an annual list of the top performing stocks based on share price performance over a three-year period. 14 of the top 30 spots this year belong to oil and gas companies. Oil prices roared back this year to as high as $120 U.S. a barrel in June. Russia's war in Ukraine combined with the lifting of COVID-19 restrictions has stoked demand for energy. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Our friends over at AMI-audio continue to offer up incredible reading programs, including McLean's Magazine that airs Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Don Dickinson is the producer of that program and is here to tell you about a couple of this week's articles. Hey, good morning, Don. Hey, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well. And Don, you've got a couple of really interesting articles this week. The first one is titled yeah. A Doctor's Dilemma by Christy Herring. In this piece, Herring describes her job as a family physician in a small town of British Columbia. So she says it's a dream come true, but also nearly impossible to do. Why is that the case? Well, this uh, this was startling to me, you know. Uh, I had no idea that um, doctors, uh, particularly in BC, are under such stress. She says nearly one in five British Columbians, close to a million people, are now without a family doctor. Some walk-in clinics, which previously provided a safety net um, to people who didn't have a family doctor, have been shuttered during the pandemic, in part because there isn't enough physicians to staff them, and also due to rising costs and a lack of 
government support. British Columbia's descent into primary care crisis is part of a much larger trend across Canada. In 2019, there were approximately 4.6 million Canadians without regular health care providers. That's a startling figure, Dave. That's done. In fact, it's so startling. Give it to us one more time. In 2019, there were approximately 4.6 million Canadians without regular health care providers. That's well over 10% of the population, a significant, significant number. So, Don, yeah. I imagine part of this is a shortage in doctors themselves. So why are family physicians opting out of the system? Well, although family medicine is the bedrock, as she explains it, of the healthcare system, family doctors are among the lowest paid physicians. And with the rapidly increasing cost of education and running a family practice, fewer and fewer can afford to choose this specialty. Now, one of the figures that came up in the article that just absolutely blew me away was she had stated that in the BC government pays family doctors $31.62 for the average visit. Now, I had a visit, believe it or not, a phone visit with a, with my endocrinologist yesterday. Uh, I have diabetes, and we were talking about my, my sugar levels and everything. And after I got off the phone, um, my partner said, oh, well, you know, that was probably a couple hundred dollars for him for that five or ten minute uh, consult. And I thought, hmm, let's look this up. And then, of course, I read this a bit of this uh, uh, article and I thought, wow, people are really under a misconception about how much these doctors are being paid by the government. And when you think about the fact that a third of that goes to maybe their administration costs and their staff or whatever, and then a third of that goes to deductions, they're left with a third of that. Yeah, it's it's pretty stunning. Uh, And you consider the workload that is being put upon people who are already dealing with a staff shortage and a lot of people needing acute help in moments from family doctors. It really adds a lot of pressure to the scenario as well. You can't just have doctors brushing people off or else they're not doing their due diligence. Don, you mentioned the bureaucratic side of this, a lot of the cost side of this. I know this Mm -hmm. article was more about a rural community in British Columbia, but I know talking to a few of my doctor friends in Toronto who've considered family practice, the cost of starting up a practice and the amount of time you spend not actually treating patients is tremendous. So what role does administration and paperwork play in a physician's day? It's a huge role, a huge role, Dave. Paperwork is the bane of family doctors' existence, slowly crushing um, the day because there's so much to do other than just see patients. This part of the workload disproportionately affects female physicians, believe it or not. American research... uh, Analyzing the time spent by doctors on electronic medical records found that regardless of the number of patients in their practice, female physicians receive approximately 25% more messages from staff and patients and have to spend at least 20% more time dealing with their inboxes and follow-up notes from their patients. More paperwork is uncompensated and includes all manner of tasks, charting, checking labs, reviewing imaging, requesting consults, reading special specialist report, filling out forms, researching uh, all kinds of, uh, 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 you know, like uh, diseases and whatnot, dealing with uh, pharmacist queries, uh, speaking to home care nurses, and, and discussing cases that can't wait with specialists. When you think of all of that on top of the fact that, you know, they have to actually see patients, it's a lot of work. And Females are, 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 you know, carrying the burden. 
Yeah, female there, doctors. There's there's something fundamentally not right with the way that our healthcare system is working right now because we're understaffed in basically every area, whether it be family mm-hmm. doctors, whether it be specialists, whether it be nurses, whether it be anybody offering frontline care, even even custodial care in hospitals are understaffed right now because of the pressure within the system. And this speaks to what's been a generational neglect. As the population of Canada has grown by about 6 million in the last 20 years, our med schools and our training facilities have not kept up with the adequate production. And we definitely did not take a look at the actual population bomb that was about to explode that was uh-huh. people in their 60s retiring, especially people in successful professions like doctors who at 61 or 62 might say, you know what, I've got cash in the bank. I don't need to do this till I'm 70 or 75. So now we find ourselves with not enough graduates coming out of med school, an onerous process, a financial burden to go to med school. Don, this situation, although this story is really, it starts from an individual perspective and offers up some of that research. It speaks to a fundamental broken system here. And we have to be really clear about this. With a lot of the deficits that were run during COVID, a lot of politicians are going to start talking about austerity when what our healthcare system needs is actually significant, significant investments. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, an infusion of cash, if anything. Um, We we really need to deal with this because, as you say, the boomers are booming and they're booming big time. And this doesn't take into account all the specialized cases uh, for the disabled, right? These are just most of these calls are just um, your average calls that the doctors are dealing with, you know, like lacerations or or, or falls or or colds or things like that, right? Then when you get into all the really more involved and intricate cases, like dealing with people with disabilities, it's a whole different ballgame. Those doctors have to spend substantially more time. And to my point earlier, when I was speaking to my endocrinologist yesterday and mentioned a side effect of one of the particular things that I was taking for my diabetes, uh, he said, oh, well, I don't really want to deal with that. You should speak to your family doctor. And I thought, wow, like here, here's the fellow who is the specialist in the field. Not that I'm, I'm, I'm saying that he, that was inappropriate. Uh, maybe it, it, well, obviously it is something that I have to speak to the family doctor. But then I thought, well, then where is the load being shifted once again? That's right. You're just, you're just playing musical chairs as opposed to actually trying to offer up the resources that people need, especially when you're talking about things like, like administration work. Certainly mm-hmm. the administration work and paper trails are important, right? Right? This is important work, but why aren't we creating scenarios and, and incentives to actually have people working in this bureaucracy at the at the sort of more core patient level? Last time I was at a hospital, I encountered way more administrators than I did actual frontline caregivers and frontline carers. And it really got me thinking, OK, if there's this many people on the support side, how is this not trickling down to more private practice? Well, very much so, Dave, because we have a we have two people, two family members right now that are dealing with uh, situations in hospital beds, and the the visits that we have had with them, there's really no. Well, I shouldn't say no. That's unfair. There, there's very little of the old what you would think of as the old bedside manner nursing anymore, mainly because the nurses just don't have the time. No, they don't. Uh, the the nurses are 
filling in so many different forms, uh, backing up all the decisions that the doctors have made, documenting everything that has been done. And I mean, I, you know, obviously this has to be done to some degree, but maybe we've carried it to an extreme because, you know, if, if, if a doctor has to spend that much time doing the paperwork or nurses have to spend that much time, how much real hands-on bedside care? Yeah. Is the patient yeah. getting? You're losing sight of the, like we're losing sight of the actual purpose of healthcare uh, because we've over bureaucratized these things. Don, uh, before we get ourselves in trouble, let's pivot off this and move <laughs> to something that's a little bit of lighter fare. I would suggest the second article is a feature interview with Moshe Safti, a world-renowned architect who has a new memoir coming out in October called "If Walls Could Speak: My Life in Architecture." In case you might be wondering why the name is familiar, Safti is famous for many buildings, including the house complex Habitat 67 in Montreal. So Safdie describes some new architectural wisdom that has emerged in the pandemic. So what's the scoop on this one? What did he describe? Well, you know, uh, the pandemic changed the world, obviously, changed professions and everything. One of the interesting post-COVID ideas uh, in architecture is that high-rise residential buildings should almost always be mandated to have outdoor spaces. I thought this, of course, is brilliant, right? Uh, Balconies, terraces, and often communal open areas. Uh, He is stating that they have to integrate nature and plant life into every single solitary building. It costs so much more to achieve a quality of life at high densities like in Hong Kong or um, uh, places like Midtown uh, Manhattan. Uh, The extremes we go to to make uh, this possible, uh, you know, we, we we could do it much better. That's what he's saying. We don't have to 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 uh, fundamentally change everything. We have to just institute certain things that allow buildings to incorporate these outdoor spaces. Rooftop gardens, back gardens, mm-hmm. patios, Simple. little park areas that can be mandated in building code. If you're going to build a new building, this must include a park. It has to include parking spaces, green spaces, plants. It's not just concrete and glass anymore. We need to get a little greenery in there. We've talked about that before, Don. How would Safdie describe a building as ugly? What constitutes an ugly building? <laughs> well, of course, he's very opinionated on this. He said, uh, when I analyze what's ugly, most of it comes from the building being detrimental to the quality of life for the people that are living within it. Take a black glass tower going up 100 floors in the middle of Dubai, the hottest place in the world. Who in the world, he said, would have uh, uh, gone along with that? A black tower. It sits there in the baking desert sun, so it ends up being very non-livable and very ugly. So he's not partial to just plain boxes that don't make life livable. And that, of course, harkens back to our earlier point about you have to have spaces that are making the people feel good. It's not just what what the building looks like. Mm-hmm. What's his take on modern architecture that's going up in Canada? Well, he's mixed on this. Uh, Basically, he's saying the level of architectural adventure in Canada and the propensity of developers to go out of the box is extremely limited. Um, Not great. (laughs) You see a few little things happening in Vancouver. He says fewer in Toronto and almost none in Montreal. But a few projects have taken some chances. He said that he he cites the Frank... um, Geary, a complex going up in Toronto as being exceptional. There's also that 
twisted building, he says, in Vancouver, uh, 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 sorry, uh, Vancouver House. Um, he says he's not personally fond of it, but it is a tour de force of architecture. And he said, you know, it has to be a blend of both. It has to be adventurous in the sense of design, but it also has to be functional. So, makes sense. That does make sense to me. Don, thank you for offering up this preview. We appreciate it. You're very welcome, Dave. That's Don Dickinson talking about our reading program, McLean's Magazine, which you can find Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio that repeats throughout the week. But the initial airing is Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, the camping season may be coming to an end, but Jenny Bovard is going to convince you there's still time to enjoy the wilderness. But first, your technology is always vulnerable to drops or spills. So, is technology insurance worth it? Alex Stone answers that question in Tech Trends. If the phone breaks, if the screen cracks or something, it'll be a little bit cheaper to get it repaired. Thomas Germain is senior tech reporter at Consumer Reports. He says there are two main kinds of gadget insurance. Basic coverage plan that costs a little bit less, but still a few hundred dollars typically. And they'll cover it if you break your phone or if you drop it. Then there's the more expensive comprehensive insurance where they'll cover anything from theft to you lose your phone, you drop it in the water. Retailers like Walmart and Target offer plans, as do manufacturers like Apple and Samsung. Third-party companies like Asurian and Fairtrade offer coverage as well and some credit card companies. But Jermaine says it's important to do the math first. If you're a little more careful if you take precautions, the insurance plan probably doesn't make sense for you. With Tech Trends, I'm Alex Stone, EBC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Got bad news for you. Unless you're sweaty like me, there's only one week left in summer. If you plan on doing some camping, the clock is ticking. Jenny Bovard just spent some time in the wilderness. Let's find out how that went. Hey, good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well. Always nice chatting with you. Jenny, this trip to the woods was uh, improvised. How did it come about? It was so impromptu, very, very unlike me, but we were sitting around the campfire in my backyard, not a campfire, I guess, backyard fire, the Saturday night of the Labor Day long weekend, and my friend with a car, I need more of those, by the way, I am looking, <laughs> uh, accepting applications, uh, our one, <laughs> one friend with a car suggests, hey, let's go camping tomorrow night, and I thought, oh, I hope he remembers this tomorrow, um, because it had been two years since I had been camping for various reasons, and so, you know, it's not usually like me, but I was like, hey, let's do it. 24-hour camping trip I'm in. <laughs> Where'd you decide to go? <laughs> okay, so the spot itself is kind of a secret. Okay, um, okay, okay. But it's a really pretty quiet lake system, not too far drive outside the city. And so we loaded up the canoe with our three humans. That's me, my husband, our good friend with the car, and Rory the dog came along this time, <laughs> along with 
all of the gear. Um, so we paddled about 20 minutes up this to this beautiful spot right on the lakeside and surrounded by trees. And again, I know I said it before, but the quiet was very nice. A little bit of peace and quiet that does go a long way. I want to come back to Rory the dog in a couple of moments. But Jenny, you mentioned the quick turnaround on this. Planning on a Saturday, schlepping off on a Sunday. Was it weird to go camping with a little bit less preparation and limited planning? So weird for me. I'm a big planner when it comes to going camping, being out in nature. And I think everybody should be like that. You shouldn't take these things lightly. You want to do your research. Like you need to know where you're going in terms of geography and what the weather is going to be like. And then it comes to packing. And I think I might've told you this before, but packing just stresses me out. So the more time I have, the better. So it was really, really impromptu for me. And just being in nature, like I said, comes with unique circumstances and and dangers right that are that are different from our everyday comforts and so the more you can plan the better very impromptu for me (laughs) I'll, i'll tell you packing and unpacking stresses me out too i never know whether or not i've kind of forgotten something right what's the thing that may sort of slip out of my peripheral vision that i don't notice uh as a for example i just spent four nights in four different beds uh over the course of last weekend which required unpacking and repacking every time It was tricky. It was a tricky operation. Yeah, I would not enjoy that. I literally forgot my toothbrush the last time I I, I went somewhere. Yeah, literally, I had to go (laughs) to a drugstore and buy a toothbrush. (laughs) You see, that's one thing if if you're going to a city. If you're going camping in your toothbrush list, then you're really up a certain kind of creek. Uh, Jenny, generally speaking, would you say that you are a comfortable camper? I am someone who is not crazy about it. I like running water and sleeping in a bed. I think it's fair to say most of us enjoy running water and and a bed, but I started camping at a really, really young age. And to this day, I will admit, you know, very little, a very small percentage of these experiences are what I would call quote, comfortable, but that's kind of what I like about it. I like the challenge and sometimes the rush and, and the unknown because you can only plan for so much. I harp on the planning, but let's be honest, you're out in nature. You don't know what's going to come up. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you when you and your friends or your family, when you get home after a camping trip or even a long hiking trip, especially when you do the sort of unofficial campsite stuff that I do, it's like, hey, y'all, we did it. Like, nobody Nobody died. You have, you know, you have, we didn't flip the canoe and wind up in the water. (laughs) Nobody got lost for any long period of time anyway. And, you know, you just feel a real sense of accomplishment. And I think you can apply that to other parts of your life after you go through those challenges. Yeah, I'd say that's fair, right? That you can sort of do a little bit of immersion therapy, push your boundaries a teensy tiny bit. And uh, every now and then, if you do end up dragging me out to a campsite, I'm told that I'm useful because my snoring is so loud that I keep the bears (laughs) away. But I also keep everybody else awake. So it's really kind of a tricky balance when dealing with me. Uh, That's a great safety feature, I have to say. Built-in safety feature, snore to keep the bears away. Uh, Jenny, let's come back to this particular trip. Your dog, Rory, is what, about 12, he's about 14, 15 months old. So what was it like trying to wrangle such a young doggo around nature like this? 
It was terrifying at first. The whole, this whole thing is new to me, being a dog owner, bringing my dog on canoe and camping trips, all brand new. And, you know, he's, he's kind of still a young, dumb male. He, his recall is, is getting better after being neutered, but that's a big thing. It's like, is he going to come back if he wanders off? So, you know, this was his first camping trip, second experience in a canoe. And my job, this whole camping trip, my biggest contribution aside from collecting firewood and of course, keeping everyone entertained um, I was tasked with wrangling the dog um, so keeping him steady in the canoe to begin with but we we came up with um, you know some some strategies to keep track of him I brought a really long 50-foot leash especially for when he and I were alone together we had a light on his collar for if he was wandering around at night again on leash at night because that's just oh, yeah. silliness oh, yeah. for, for me anyway and he had a little jingle bell very very helpful for me because I can lose sight of him so so quickly so these mechanisms you know they really were a success they worked out really well for me some people are fine to let their dog roam you know here there and everywhere um but with being able to lose sight of him so quickly i've had to really figure that piece out and i think he enjoyed it dave it's one of those things where it's like i really wish he could talk sometimes because i think he had a good time <laughs> but he's pretty pampered pooch at home so it's hard to tell he's an urban dwelling dog you know he's not really a nature <laughs> dog but they do dogs do tend to be adaptable and they they find a way jenny this would not be a conversation without you if we didn't talk about a little bit of grub what did you bring to eat on this particular camping trip i thought you just i didn't think you were gonna ask i'm so excited that you did so <laughs> this time this is kind of rare for us we usually hike in camp so this time we had the luxury of a small cooler so we brought with us uh, some bratwurst sausages which we had for lunch and dinner roasted those babies right on the fire no dehydrated bags of food for us. I mean, this was nice. We had buns and ketchup and everything. Um, and then, you know, we had s'mores, obviously. We had the fix-in for s'mores. And then for breakfast, I mean, that was probably the most luxurious thing. Um, we had boiled eggs and fried bacon. You know, we have our little, we have our little camping pot and pan, which just make life, again, just so luxurious out there. Even the dog had bacon and eggs for lunch. Oh, 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 oh. I well, told you he was pampered. He definitely was a teensy bit pampered there. Uh, yeah, Jenny, it must be nice not to be eating sort of the uh, trail mix and dehydrated food that sometimes is associated with these uh, wilderness outings. But I suppose a one-day overnight camping trip changes the equation a teensy bit. You got it. And having that and having that cooler is just a game changer. And I just a side note, I think I might have found the best instant coffee for camping. Um, don't judge me. It's the Starbucks VIA. You can buy them in like a little cardboard pack and they have individual servings. Oh. It's the it's the best. So I just have to leave that tip right there. This is like borderline glamping, but you still slept on the floor. So, you know, there's still, uh, so we're not all the way there. Uh, Jenny, one last thought here as we're wrapping up the hour and wrapping up the conversation. Camping season is coming to a close, but irrespective, any advice for folks who want to get off the grid? I think, like I've been harping the whole time, be prepared, plan ahead. You want to have the right gear and information to feel secure. And I think one of the key things is seeking the advice and company of people that have experience and who you trust. Don't go do it alone. That's just silly. And lastly, I think 
you really have to get settled and okay with the fact that no matter what kind of camping you do, what kind of uh, advance notice preparation you can do, know that you are going to likely feel vulnerable and probably challenged a couple of times along the way. And that's that's all part of it is being uncomfortable and then getting through that and coming out the other end of it with a good couple of stories, which I wish we had more time. I have so many wild camping <laughs> stories. I've saved the day a couple of times, Dave. Have but- you really? Jenny the hero. Yeah, I mean, it all goes back to that those O&M uh, lessons. But you might find peace and motivation in this stuff, right? I mentioned the quiet and then just overcoming those challenges. I don't know. It's all a big metaphor for life for me. Jenny, we've got 90 seconds on the clock, and I apologize if you find this question crass. But with your level of vision, can you still appreciate the stars on a clear night when you're out in the wilderness? Yes, on a really, really clear night when it's really, really dark, when there isn't any light pollution around, um, I can appreciate a lot of stars, actually. I feel really fortunate. And there are these great apps now that are, in fact, accessible with voiceover Mm -hmm. that you can can get a better understanding of what you're looking at and what to look for. Because sometimes it's like, what am I looking for? (laughs) Um, Right? Oh, look at that shiny star. Oh, that one. That one is shiny, too. People are always pointing out satellites, and I'm like, I can't see it, and I don't, I don't think I'm missing anything. <laughs> That's for y'all to worry about. I got my yeah. eye on that one sprinkling star. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat, Jenny. I, on a clear night out in the woods, no light pollution, I can pick up a few, and those are some of the happiest nights of my life. It's magical. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it really is. Well, Jenny, I hope you enjoyed the peace and quiet. I'm sorry that we disturbed you with uh, my, loud, my loud baritone this morning, but uh, we'll catch up with you again in a couple weeks. Have a really good weekend. I guess it's almost the weekend. We're close. We may as well. You might sneak in a camping trip. You never know. Nope. I I skipped football all last weekend for weddings and travels. This weekend is going to be all football and all pizza and maybe a beer. All right. Enjoy some luxury then. (laughs) Thanks, Jenny. That is Jenny Bovard, our friend of the show. We'll be back in a couple weeks for another special roundtable segment that we tried yesterday. Coming up after the break, I have the regional news update. Brock Richardson will be here with a sports chat, and Alex Smythe will tell you what's going on in the world of weather. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, September the 15th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Sean Priest of Double Tap will share his thoughts on the Soundcore Frames, a pair of audio glasses by Anchor. Our senior producer, Andrika Delanero, did a little more research for me in regards to whether or not you can get prescriptions on these lenses, on these frames. So I will talk about that with Sean in about oh, 15 or 20 minutes and Karen McGee will be here with the Central Regional Reports. Speaking of the regions out there in the colonies, let's get to the regional news update. Vancouver's chief election officer has filed a court application to declare that 15 candidates in the upcoming municipal election are not entitled to have their names on the ballot papers in Chinese, Persian, or other non-Latin characters. Nicole Reese explains. 
Election officer Rosemary Hagewara, who filed the application to provincial court on Tuesday, names respondents including NPA mayoral candidate Fred Harding, incumbent NBA councillor Melissa DeGenova, and Vision Vancouver School Board trustee Alan Wong. Hagewara says in an affidavit that neither they nor any other respondents used non-Latin versions of their usual names in nomination papers for previous elections, and they aren't entitled to do so at this time. The matter is set to be heard by the provincial court in Robson Square this morning. Nicole Reese, the Canadian Press. And let's move over to the prairies, where menstrual products will be available for free of charge in Manitoba schools, women's shelters, and women's resource centres. The, pro- the Progressive Conservative government is partnering with Shoppers Drug Mart, which will provide 3.3 million tampons and pads each year for the next three years. Families Minister Rochelle Squire says the deal will lead to uniformity across the province. And whether you're in Thompson or the Paw or Winnipeg or Brandon, if you're going to school, the expectation should be that you would uh, be able to access this product. Squires elaborated on how this will help vulnerable people. We know when women come into women's shelters, oftentimes they're they're arriving with nothing more than the, the clothes on their back. And so very important to have them as partners. Let's move over to Ontario, where the Ontario government says hospital patients awaiting spots in long-term care may be moved to nursing homes up to 150 kilometres away while they wait for a spot in their preferred home. If they refuse, they can be charged $400 per day. Health Minister Sylvia Jones says the fee will be part of of the conversations that hospital beds need to be for acute care patients. Those conversations include, yes... We will need to charge if you refuse to take the, the long-term care bed that we have found for you. Long-term care minister Paul Calandra says people will not necessarily be moved the maximum distance away, but it gives hospital coordinators flexibility in placements. In many of the areas of the province, including, including of Toronto, there are Toronto and many of our largest cities, London, Windsor, Ottawa, there are many more homes available much closer than that. But as you can appreciate, you just started getting some of the rural parts of, of the province. Uh, uh, that distance between homes already is, is, is larger. The government has indicated that couples will not be separated and that religious, ethnic and language preferences will be respected. Moving over to Quebec, the first of two leaders' debates in Quebec will take place tonight in Montreal. Four of the five participants will be making their debate debut as party leaders. Only François Legault, the incumbent premier and leader of Coalition Avenir Quebec, has been on that debate stage before. And finishing up in the Atlantic provinces, where Cape Breton's Duncan coal mine is back in operation after a closure two years ago. In March 2020, the company ceased production following a roof fall where no one was injured, but the Labour Department suspended operations and sought remediation plans. Nova Scotia's Labour Department says work was allowed to proceed following review of the operational safety plans that were submitted by the mine's owner, Cameron Coal Management Limited. That's your look at regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. All right, Brock, let's do a couple quick slants here, and I'm going to surprise you. Maybe you haven't even seen this come across your wire yet, but we had breaking news about 20 minutes ago. All-time tennis great Roger Federer has announced that next week will be his last ever professional tournament. Brock, first Serena, now Federer. What's going on in the world of tennis? Everybody's getting old. 
I know, but we're not. We're not getting any older. Oh, no, not at all. Never. Staying right where we are. Look, (laughs) those two names are names that, you know, as soon as you think tennis, uh, those are among the the top list. And and both of those uh, athletes well-deserved retirement. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. I have a hard time since Tom Brady, Dave, to believe that people are actually going to retire. So, uh, you know, I even, I even dabbled in the going back to sports for a little while. And as soon as I started, it was like, why did I do this? I need to go back. So, I mean, you know, everyone needs to go through that, but yeah, both, both athletes, very good. And, uh, it's too bad because, um, you know, big names when they leave, that's what draws people to, to tennis yeah. and a lot of sports is, is the big names, but uh, tennis is okay. They've got, They've got up and comers that are in the in the pipeline that will be okay, and I and Serena said it that tennis will be fine, and and I agree, and I think Federer would share that same sentiment. Yeah, just had a just had a teenager win the U.S. Open last week, so definitely the future could be bright there, no doubt about it. It would have been nice though for Federer to do one more Wimbledon on the grass courts that he made his game so famous. I would have loved to have seen one more Federer run at Wimbledon, but we know he's coming off a couple torn ligaments in his knee, and at his age, not to be ageist, but the that that recovery gets pretty tough and he's probably just looking for one quick swan song here brock speaking of athletes who are going through their swan song or getting a bit older you have a neat little stat about st louis cardinals catcher yadier molina and one of their starting pitchers adam wainwright yes so they together last night made their 325th start and this is a MLB record. And I did some quick math and I figured out that if on average, every starter does it in and around 32 starts per year, that means that they've been together, like pitching together for about 10 and a half years. Now they've both moved around different places, but it's, you know, it's kind of cool watching it. And I was gripped last night and I can say that the Cardinals got the victory last night in a four to one uh, win. So that's kind of cool. And it's nice to watch history be made. The Cardinals have become a team that I find myself rooting for heading into this playoffs. I don't know if their pitching's good enough, but the going away sort of ceremonies for Yadi Molina and Albert Pujols, along with two of my favorite young players. Well, they're not young anymore, but at one point they were young like we all were. Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. There is something about the St. Louis Cardinals that I deeply deeply find myself rooting for so that's a fun fact and it's one that uh, that is going to translate here as it looks like the cardinals are indeed playoff bound and we'll be keeping our fingers crossed does does albert pujols hit the uh, 700 oh, mark i I, wa- I hope he does i want him to he's got to get there he's, he only needs a few more i i hope if they're if they start playing some jabroni teams down the stretcher they start grooving him a couple balls so he can uh, yeah. hit that 700 and go into retirement as a happy man brock a team that did not go on a playoff run but did get a couple more games here at the world championships was the u23 men's uh, wheelchair basketball team they had one last game against france today I, I think that I keep jinxing this team. It's it's what I like to call the broadcaster's curse because <laughs> we chatted about them uh, doubling up in their last game, their opponent. Uh, they uh, didn't quite get uh, doubled up today, but they did lose against France uh, 62-33, so they do take home 10th place, and France subsequently gets the 9th place. So a couple of good victories, and I think that we can all hold our heads up high and understand that basketball and wheelchair basketball in Canada is in good hands and uh, 
the team will be okay moving forward. Let's move to a story from the world of professional basketball. This broke a couple days ago. We wanted to get to it yesterday. We ran out of time, but it's a really big story, and a few more details have emerged. The owner of the Phoenix Suns, Robert Sarver, has been suspended by the NBA for a full year, as well as fined $10 million, the maximum amount allowed under the owner's agreement. Uh, I would say collectively collectively bargained agreement, but that's not right. That's not the right terminology. But under the ownership agreement in the NBA, the maximum that can be fined is $10 million. And Brock, let me just lay out a couple of the context here. Basically, this has to do with workplace harassment and work inappropriate behavior in the workplace, including constant and regular use of the N-word. I'll leave it there for now, but Brock, what's your reaction to this story? Uh, I have a couple of angles to take because I saw Adam Silver uh, be grilled by the press on this exact uh, topic. But first, I will say that um, the suspension is warranted and, and it is the best that he can he can do with the ten million dollars in the year fine, as you point out. The suspension is great because it's certainly warranted, as I said. But the thing is, these suspensions, Dave, do not seem to be enough because we constantly hear we heard about it in college with the assault that took place. People aren't learning, and so for me, that's kind of where I'm like, okay, these suspensions are great, warranted, but we we don't see it changing. On a, on a broader scale than we should. Sure, the individuals may learn and may say, okay, I'll, I'm not doing that again. But on a whole, we don't see people saying, well, uh, you know, $10 million is a lot of money because it is. But as an owner, it's probably not as much as you would think. Yeah, when your franchise is worth $3 billion, $10 million is not uh, quite as significant. Right. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up was the fact that Adam Silver was, as I mentioned, absolutely grilled uh, by the media yesterday and a lot of the media was wondering uh, you know should he should he lose his ownership and Adam Silver you know stuck to his guns and said guys this is not as easy as it seems it's not as easy to just you know take the guy's team away you know he he is an owner he does that do you think he should have the, the team taken away aside from all the legal stuff that would be associated with it just plainly do you think the team should be taken away under the circumstances if we're talking about racist behavior if we're talking about sexual harassment in the workplace i would suggest that merits your team being taken away but brock you told me not to get into legal minutia but i have to at least make one mention of legal minutia here under the agreement the owners sign on to to be part of this nba fraternity and this, by the way, comes from Amin Al-Hassan of Metal Arc Media. He's a former front office uh, executive with the Phoenix Suns. Under these agreements, if the league and the other owners, the board of governors, decided they wanted to pursue a legal action against Robert Sarver, that would actually open up all of the organizations and all of the board of governors to open discovery in court. So for a lot of them, even if they feel like they want Sarver out, similar to how they wanted Donald Sterling out, uh, he was the former owner of the Los Angeles Clippers who was caught on uh, on an audio recording saying some really abhorrent racist things about Magic Johnson and other African-American players in the NBA. Unless you have a smoking gun like that, you have to potentially go into a long litigation process that would potentially open up all of the organizations in the league to significant audits. And 
I think what you were describing there in your answer in regards to a culture that we hope is changing but probably isn't changing, none of them want to make themselves vulnerable for that kind of auditing. Yeah, because audits are deep when when you just look at audits on their face. But when you're looking at audits beyond paperwork and and that kind of thing, it can get deep. And they are there are some big audits in professional sports teams and nobody wants to be held under the, the scrutiny of that. So I do think to your point that is a that is a decent point. But we need to see and I know we keep we keep saying this we sound like a broken record. We need to see change in these things. It's good to say that I, you know, I stand with everybody and whatever happens, it's all good. But the people that are, that are, um, for lack of a better word, that are creating this need to change their, their actions and need to learn from just because you're making a lot of, a lot of money doesn't excuse you from, you know, making racist remarks or having a workplace harassment because if you or I were to do that uh, you know it, it's pretty easy it, it's one and done and it's gone but when you're in the professional world it's it's harder because of the limelight that does shine on the sports yeah. world as a whole another example that was uh, brought forth in the findings of this report is that in team meetings he would ask players about the grooming habits of their pubic hair so i mean this is like just really really sort of boys will be boys stuff that we have long since decided as a society is deeply deeply inappropriate especially through a power dynamic of a billionaire owner and but brock you know ultimately even in the case of going back to donald sterling in 2014 where the team was taken away he did get handed a check for about two billion dollars from steve balmer so even if you take away the rich person's toy they still get a check for about two billy so it's not like it's not like the consequences <laughs> are all all the same as how much we want them to be Brock- yeah and the, the the thing that i just to close on this the thing that i want to put out there is that these owners could be like the fathers of these these individuals so asking questions like the one you just you just put out there I don't want my father asking me those questions, you know, let alone my boss in the case of, of the ownership. Like it's just flat out inappropriate and just leaves me with a really ick feeling. Yeah, it is pretty darn ick. What's not ick is the game available on Thursday night football tonight, Brock, the Los Angeles chargers and the Kansas city chiefs going at it in KC on a Thursday, Brock. It's almost too bad that it's on a Thursday. Cause I don't like these short rest games for marquee games, but nonetheless, Two of the best young quarterbacks in the league. Two offensive cores filled with neat young weapons and really exciting young defensive players. This is a marquee game. Like, this may be one of the best games of the season being offered up to us on Thursday night of week two. And you know what? I believe the reason they're doing this is because all eyeballs are solely on this uh, football game. Listen, uh, Justin Herbert needs to be quick because the Kansas City uh, defensive line is going to be quick on you. They're going to come at you really hard. Uh, listen, LA uh, caused five turnovers in their last game against the Oakland Raiders against Derek Carr. This is not something you can rely on uh, tonight because Patrick Mahomes is not going to give up the ball very easily. He didn't give up any in week one. And the, um, the, the matchup between uh, Travis Kelsey and Derwin James is a matchup mm-hmm. you need need to watch because this is going to be a good one, and they're going to be going mano a mano all game long, and I look forward to chatting about it 
tomorrow morning yeah. because it's gonna be it's gonna be real good and real something to watch. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes five touchdowns last week in Week One. The Los Angeles defense forcing five turnovers in Week One. What is going to move first? And of course, as you say, the LA quarterback Justin Herbert going into his third year in the league, high high expectations going into the season. He was the MVP favorite. So we've got a lot to hash out tonight on TSN for Thursday Night Football. But Brock, for now, we say goodbye to you. Have a great day, my friend. You as well. Thanks so much. That is Brock Richardson. Once again, Thursday Night Football, just after 8 p.m. Eastern tonight on TSN. The Chargers and the Chiefs, one of the best rivalries in all of football. One of the greatest friendships in all of broadcasting is me and Alex Smythe. He's here with the National Weather Update. Thank you very much, Dave. And this is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. There's showers today and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers an hour with a high of 17. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's a mix of sun and clouds with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and a high of 14. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's a mix of sun and cloud with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers an hour with a high of 17. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's mainly sunny with a high of 16. And Toronto, Ontario, sunny as well with a high of 19. Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of showers this afternoon and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers an hour with a high of 21. In Brandon, Manitoba, there's showers this morning, but it will then turn to overcast skies with a high of 15. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's cloudy, possible showers this morning, and a high of 16. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds and possible rain or thunderstorms this afternoon. It's also hazy with a high of 24. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's a mix of sun, clouds, possible rain and thunderstorms this afternoon. It's also hazy due to the smoke and it's a high of 20. In Whitehorse, Yukon, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of showers throughout the day and a high of 13. In Kelowna, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds with possible rain and thunderstorms this afternoon. And there's also an air quality alert in effect due to the smoke in the area with a high of 23. Vancouver, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds, hazy with a high of 20. That was your AMI National Weather Report. From Environment Canada. It's always a little hazy in Vancouver. Thank you, Alex. Coming up next, Sean Priest of Double Tap will share his thoughts on the Soundcore Frames, a pair of audio glasses by Anchor. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's catch up with our friend Sean Priest of Double Tap. Sean, of course, is in Manchester. I had to swim a long way to catch up with him. Good morning, Sean. 
<laughs> How are you, mate? How are you doing? I'm always doing well. I'm always excited when I get to chat with you, especially when we're talking about wearable technology, because I think you and I have these sort of push and pull conversations about whether or not a wearable is for us or whether we'd have a use case for it. And you've got a chance to experience. I just want to make sure I get the branding precisely right on this, Sean. It's very mm -hmm. important that I get it right. Of course. The sound yes. core frames by anchor did, did i get that right the sound core oh, frames by anchor such, such a professional okay. yes of course you are <laughs> so, so um yeah go, so these are yeah. these are wearable glasses so what what precisely are they serving as a process here okay so these although some people call them smart glasses these definitely aren't these are just bluetooth audio glasses yes they have a companion app and they can do some pretty clever things but yeah, they're not smart glasses, um, but they are, as I said, audio glasses. Now, why would you want to wear audio sunglasses rather than just normal headphones or earbuds? You know, it, it's a bit of a strange one, but there is a very good reason, and that is that they're not covering your ears. They're not in your ears. They're not on your ears. They've got little speakers built into the now, this is controversial. I'm going to say the arms of the sunglasses. <laughs> okay. okay. Why, St is that, why, is that, why is that so controversial? Oh, well, there's a big argument. Stephen <laughs> is absolutely sure they're called legs, and that is so wrong. They are the arms of the sunglasses. So they've got actually two speakers in each arm, and they're just firing the audio into your ears, meaning that you're totally aware of the environmental noise going on around you, which obviously for us, you know, we want to know what's coming at us. So it's really important. So for me, these are really useful for those situations when you're out and about walking around and you don't want any headphones or earbuds actually in your ears. There have been iterations of these glasses by other companies as well as by Anchor, previously speaking. I remember I tried the Bose uh, product a couple of years ago when Jeff Thompson and Nick D'Ambrosio were visiting the Toronto area, and I found them to yep. be a little bit boxy. How would you sort of <gasps> describe the style on these? How dare you, sir? Everyone loves the Bose frames, but you're absolutely right. They are. They are, especially the arms. They are a little bit boxy. Um, but everyone did love the Bose frames, especially in our community. But um, I find these, I'll be honest with you, far better. I think the build quality is better. And when it comes to style, the whole selling point, the unique selling point of the frames is that you can simply click off the arms and change the, well, what they call the frames, the front of the sunglasses, if you will, for different styles. Um, they're interchangeable. Um, and there are so many different styles out there. So no matter if you've got a big fat face like me or a thin face or whatever it may be, there's something that's going to suit you. Yeah, they are really cool. If your face is fat, then mine is obese. So, you know, let's, let's just, let's just, let's just keep, let's just let's keep leave this, it there. let's keep this civil. Let's keep this civil, Sean. Uh, Sean, <laughs> I, I, I want to drill a little bit deeper there in regards to that fashionable sides and sort of the replace, the replaceability of the lenses. Cause that's, I think what ultimately makes these not smart glasses because in theory, smart glass would have to do precisely with the lens and not the frame or some kind of camera involved. So there's actually yes. a lot of potential here for someone like myself who prefers more of a wraparound glasses or might want to use prescription. So this actually gives the consumer a little bit of freedom to dabble. Yeah, absolutely. There are frames there that you can add prescription lenses to. There's clear frames, you know, if you don't want the sunglasses, uh, sunglasses look. Uh, uh, for me, a long time when I did have 
some usable vision, you know, being a retinitis pigmentosa, I want as much light coming in as I could get. Uh, so I never wore sunglasses, but you can have different tints on these. And again, it's all down to the interchangeability. Is that a word? No, it is, no, no, you nailed it. it no, you got it. You nailed Thank it. Thank you interchangeability i'm going to use it again of the frames and the, the ability to quickly snap because all the smarts i'm saying smarts the there's a touch sensitive area on the arm so you can swipe to turn it up and skip tracks and double tap to answer calls all that sort of technology is built into the arms themselves so you know you can quickly take them off and yeah, if you want something uh, your prescription glasses on then you can pop the uh, the arms into those different frames and still have the uh, the the audio coming through the stems it's really cool Sean I can see where something like this would be so so useful for someone who likes to use GPS technology or some kind of turn by turn mm -hmm. technology especially if you have something in your hand you have a coffee maybe you're traveling you're schlepping a suitcase around there's all kinds of use, use cases that I can see here why something like this would be really useful but what was your experience like with them was the sound quality good were they comfortable how did you actually feel with them on your face well I've got them here let me let me put them on and uh Prepare yourself, because I am like a high-tech Fonzie when I put these on. Oh, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what I look like, but they do feel very, very comfortable. And as I said, I think the build quality is better than the Bose frames. I did have Bose frames, and they sadly broke after about three months. And a lot of people I talk to have had the same problem. Now, it's not really an issue. Bose do replace them for absolutely free, but... Um, I, I think these feel far more durable and uh, will last longer. Now, when it comes to the sound quality, mm, okay, the bows do sound better. There's more bass. With these, there's very little bass with them. Again, it's hard. I wouldn't really expect it because they're not, you know, they're firing into your ears. They're not actually in your ears where you would get the bass. Um, I really don't think any of these glasses, including the Bose frames, that is, are, are really for music listening. But for us, using voiceover, getting GPS, um, you know, prompts, turn-by-turn -turn navigation, excuse me, listening to podcasts, listening to the radio, any vocals, absolutely fantastic. Even listening to things like Netflix and YouTube, they are absolutely mm. fine for it. Now, there is a slight issue in that. Everyone else around you can hear absolutely everything you're listening okay. to. Okay, so 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 there is like quite a bit of bleed here. This isn't just like your bone conduction headphone. There's actually a little bit of bleed oh, here from no. the speakers. Oh, yes. I can quite happily take these off, put them on the side, and still hear what I'm doing on my phone. Oh, gosh. Um, if I got the volume up that high. Now, of course, you can turn it down, and it's fine. But then again, if you're out, you know, walking down the street and there's traffic noise, then obviously you're going to want these quite loud. But if you're commuting and... You know, on the train or on the bus, then quite frankly, you're going to drive the person next to you absolutely crazy okay. because they, okay. they, they are quite loud. They do have something called privacy mode. And when a call comes in, the volume does lower down by default. So uh, it, you know, it tries to make up for the bleed. But yeah, yeah. To be honest, you can still hear. <laughs> yeah, even then. So you got to be careful about uh, spending time on OnlyFans or what podcast you're listening to. Uh, while I don't you're, know what well, that yeah, is. Neither do I'm I. Sorry, neither Dave. do I. Just, it's, no just, idea. it's just words. It's words that I know. Uh, <laughs> Sean, let's wrap up here. We like to talk about price. I know Anchor typically 
offers pretty good products at pretty good price points. I bought one of their Bluetooth speakers a couple of years ago for yes. under $30, and I was blown away by the quality. What's the price points on these? I imagine it's a teensy bit higher because of the smartness of the technology. Yeah, prepare to be unblown away because it is, I just checked on Amazon CA today, and 179 Canadian dollars okay. is the price. Yeah, that's pricey. Now, it is pricey. And as you said, Anchor are known for their, you know, their, their great prices for the quality and the great prices. So it is a bit of a surprise. They are sort of comparable to the Bose frames, almost the same price, I think, um, at least to the later Bose frames. Um, are they worth it? That's a hard call. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you could get a cheap pair of earbuds, maybe, but I find them really useful, but it is quite a lot of money. I'll be honest with you. I, I think at a certain point when you're looking at that price point, if you can afford it, you're almost paying for convenience and you're paying for situational circumstances rather than total yes. functionality. I, I, again, I painted the scenario of schlepping a suitcase and maybe having a water bottle or a coffee that let's say you're, you're traveling to a city, you're trying to get to the train station. You've got a bunch of stuff. I'm not saying this is autobiographical at all. I can say typically this would be something <laughs> that would actually be quite nice to have. But in terms of, yeah, sitting on on the bus or sitting on the train and actually using these as a pair of sunglasses that you're going to be listening to your music on your journey from Toronto to Montreal, that's not going to fly because of the sound bleed. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's very situational. It's very much on your own use case. Like I said, for traveling around, for my morning walk to the buddy shop and having Soundscape tell me what street I'm on and where I'm at, fantastic. But is that worth the uh, the asking price? That's down to you. I'm yeah. not entirely sure. Yeah, that's a disposable income question. Hey, Shutter, I know you guys yeah. are grinding away daily on Double Tap, so thank you for making a little Oof. time for us today. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> well, loves it. Wow, Sean. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> to send you some flowers Where for that. Where else will I hear the word schlep used twice? It was gorgeous. <laughs> thank you. Sean, have a great day, man. You too. Thank you. That's Sean Priest. He's one of the hosts of Double Tap, which you can find daily on AMI-audio at noon Eastern. It's a great show. It, speaking of sound bleed, I sit next to the AMI audio speakers here in the office and it bleeds into my little bubble room, my little fish bowl. I listen to Double Tap every day. It's great programming. Noon Eastern on AMI audio. And don't forget to download the podcast because that's worth your while as well. Speaking of AMI audio programming that is very much worth your while this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time, host Joita Gupta of The Pulse, will be speaking with disability activist Andrew Gerza and Professor Chelsea Jones about making sex education inclusive for people with disabilities. So I bet if I used the expression only fans to them, they'd know what I'm talking about. That's The Pulse, Thursdays, 1 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. It's also available to stream on your favorite podcasting platform or YouTube. Coming up next, I've got the Accessibility Story Roundup. And then I'm going to ask Nazreen and Ramya our daily poll question. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We'll bring in Rumya and Nisreen in just a moment. But first, I have the accessibility story roundup. Aww. Been talking a lot about music and sound today, so I came across this article about an electric guitar with a braille fretboard, which was made by Yanko Design. While simply color-coordinating or 
backlighting parts of an instrument may work for a regular old novice, it does not necessarily translate for a visually impaired user. Vitar is hoping to solve that by covering its entire fretboard with braille keys that can assist someone who's blind or vision impaired navigate their way around a guitar. Now, the guitar itself looks a little bit odd at first because it's not your average Spanish guitar. Designed to electronically send signals to a software digitally known as Digidio audio workstation. The guitar comes with keys that you press with your left hand, indicating the notes that you want the guitar to play. The guitar does not quite stop there. Each key is located in the guitar's fretboard and comes with a braille letter embossed on it. The part about the guitar that is really fascinating is its uncontroversial, its unconventional design. The way it was made has nothing to do with acoustics, but rather everything to do with being intuitive and minimizing the learning curve. The guitar's body has an odd asymmetric shape that helps users instantly understand which way it's supposed to be held. Strings sit in a recessed chamber on the main body, so the hand or guitar pick knows when to stop while also giving you a place to conveniently rest your fingers. Guidelines across the main body help to hand navigate around the guitar so you can spend more time jamming and less time figuring out if you're holding the instrument properly. And while the guitar itself is targeting visually impaired students, most users can benefit from the sheer muscle memory of their fingertips knowing which key is located where and the button that triggers the note. Interesting stuff. I will say learning guitar was not super easy and as I've somewhat gotten rusty with my guitar from not playing very often, it can be sometimes really tough when you're playing fast to know what fret you're heading towards. So it's nice to have more clear markers all over the guitar to let you know if you're on the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh fret and know which string you're on. It makes a ton of sense. So that's a really cool innovation and it speaks to universal design on the electric guitar front. Let us bring in Ramya and Nizreen. So Ramya Amuthan is the co-host of Kelly and Company, and Nizreen Abdelmajid is a producer and contributor for AMI-audio as well as AMI-tv. And guys, today, instead of going into something deep or something from the world of personal experience, I just want to ask you our daily poll question. We were just talking to Sean Priest about these anchor sound core frames that have built-in speakers that are meaning to sort of replace headphones and offer you maybe a little bit of guidance when using uh, GPS getting around town. I'm genuinely curious, because you guys are both music heads, what style of headphone do you prefer? Is it the in-ear, over-the-ear, bone conduction, or no preference at all? And of course, if folks do want to vote on the poll, Accessible Media on Twitter or at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Nazreen, starting with you, DJ Nazi, what's your preference when it comes to a headphone? Dave, you know, because of my job, I always prefer over-ear headphones, just like the ones that I'm wearing right now. It's just more comfortable. It's... uh it's less painful than in-ear headphones. And I know you know what I'm talking about because I like in-ear headphones when I'm commuting. However, if it's a long period of time, I do end up feeling pain. Like I end up taking it out. Just, you know, it feels a little bit painful. Um, so if it's a long period of time, like my job or something like that, always over-ear headphones is just my go-to. Yeah, anytime you're talking about these earbuds or more in-ear headphones, even ones that feel comfortable, you're absolutely right. After a while, it feels like they're squeezing the life out of your ears and just yeah. pounding music right into them, where sometimes the nice leather cuffs of an over-the-ear headphone just feel a bit nicer on the skin. Romeo, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you, but my ideal for everyday use is in-ear. Now, this is like a really 
old style way of doing it. But for my voiceover usage, because I use screen reader to read verbatim and, you know, go through scripts and stuff. Um, I prefer the in-ear ear pods, like the wired ear pods from Apple a long time ago when people were. <laughs> when you could still uh, plug them into your phone. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we all complained about it because it's plastic. It's not comfortable. But the thing is, it's that nice balance between in-ear, but not um, noise canceling. So that's what I use for work. And then for pleasure, it's all AirPods because you can control, you know, when you're uh, noise canceling and when you're not. Over the head headphones, I do like if I know that I'm in a completely uninterrupted session, like an airplane. Um, for every day popping in and out, I find it to be like very cumbersome. And just because I rely on my ears so much for everything for travel for just hearing what's around me for balance like that kind of stuff uh i feel like having overhead headphones and just walking around with them is it's not on my agenda yeah it's almost a little bit putting yourself too much into your own world especially with the heavy heavy noise yes. cancellation for sure uh have either of you guys messed around with the bone conduction at all ramya any 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 interest or use of the bone conduction headphones I think I've tried it, but didn't love it um, because I need to hear my crisp, clean audio. Yeah. Have you? Nah, same deal for me. I've 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 put them on, especially we were we were messing around with some uh, GPS technology with some researchers in Montreal and seeing what that was like to orient through. Very very useful, especially as you point out, if you want to hear the surroundings around you. Mm -hmm. But if I want good clean audio, I I need something in my ears. I've also noticed Ramya because you and I have been sitting in the same seat the last couple of days around Studio right. Five. You keep the headphones much lower than I keep the headphones. I think maybe <laughs> there's less wax in your ears. Okay. And and the thing is, for me, it's just the two hours. So I know I can bear it with the overhead. But if I were to do that all day, it'd be a totally different situation. <laughs> uh, 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 Nazreen, have you messed around at all with the uh, with the bone conduction I headphones? I did. My dad got them and I'm like, no, not for me. I don't like how it sits around my neck. And it, I don't know, it's just not comfortable for me at all. So mm -hmm. it's not my cup of tea. You mentioned the around the neck. So one of the things that I've invested in, in my very perpetual ongoing effort to buy as cheap a headphone as possible, but also not lose them. I bought what they're, I guess they call the running style headphones. So they are Bluetooth headphones. They are in ear, but they do have a little wire on the back. So what yeah. you can do is you can just drop them down on your neck if you want to pull them out quickly. I found that to be a really useful investment because I'm not perpetually tossing earbuds everywhere and being like, oh no, where'd I put these? Rummy, I heard some affirmation there. Mm. What do you think about that technology? I love those. I think it was a Sony that I had or some sport. I can't even remember the name of it, but they were really wonderful. Same thing because you can keep some of that outdoor noise in. Um, but I will say when the AirPods came out and they had the technology where you could like they actually feed in some of your surrounding noise to you. Um, I, I switched over completely. Except those cost like $300. Whereas I know. mine cost like $20. Investment. Yeah, investment. My that I dad lose. loved it. My dad loved it. It's a perfect uh, Father's Day gift if anyone is wondering. Then <laughs> if, I know if they want to, if they want to buy Nazreen's dad a Father's Day gift, it's a great Father's Day <laughs> they gift. Love it, uh, Nazreen. You said you didn't like the way that the bone conduction felt around your neck, but obviously this one's like a little bit different. But have you tried the sort of mm -hmm. wired running headphones at all? I have, but still, I I always prefer the over ear headphones regardless. 
Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm always scared of the Bluetooth headphones when I'm in public. I'm always scared that it's actually not connected. And that's why I always, <laughs> and I'm so glad, Remya, you brought it up. The wired uh, headphones, the Apple headphones, I still have them. I still use yeah. them oh, more wow. than my AirPods. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I fought hard. <laughs> I fought hard against the Bluetooth revolution, but I eventually did give in. And I just, and I said, mm-hmm. you know what? That's it. It's enough. Same. Yeah. I, I, I well, we haven't even talked about late. Latency, though, for Bluetooth, because if for anyone using screen reader, um, AirPods do a great job with almost zero latency. But other headphones I found, and I think the the ones that they're like the sport style headphones. This is one thing that I did have an issue with was my voiceover was delayed by like half a second. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use that all day. Yeah. I find the microphones on some of those wired uh, wired running headphones, too, are not are not particular, not particularly great either. Uh, so yeah, the microphone matters as well if you don't want to be taking your ears out or doing yep. big switcheroos or swapperoos as you're making moves. Uh, speaking of making moves, we got to go. Nizreen, I'm going to say goodbye to you right now. Have a great day. Thank you. Ramya, I'm hanging on to you for one more moment because you are the co-host of Kelly and Company, which comes our way at 2 p.m. Eastern time. What's coming up on the show today? We are talking gardening with Susan Kearney, and I always say this around this time of year, she has plenty of things to talk about through fall and winter, so don't go anywhere. Uh, Today, she's specifically talking about plants that are autumn-friendly for your gardens. Uh, Also, Canada is marking September as the first annual Inherited Retinal Disease Awareness Month, Dave, and we're going to learn more about this month with Larissa Moniz of Fighting Blindness Canada. Plus, we have Curious Minds with Christine Malik, and she's highlighting images from the James Webb telescope because oh, yeah. um, people from yeah because people from the blind low vision community can't stop talking about how accessible things are coming with astronomy so she's very excited about it too yeah NASA even as they were releasing some of those images had audio description we had somebody from James Webb mm-hmm. the, the Canadian arm of that come on and talk about some of the images it is so so cool they just found a cluster of 300 galaxies the other day like just 300 galaxies wow. just like chilling just chilling like we're in one little galaxy and then they found like 300 the other day just you know Exactly. Moving their scope exactly. around. Exactly. You know, we're just it's a little. It's way bigger than we thought, Dave. We're, we're just like a little rock. We're just a little rock floating in space. We're all just dust in the wind. Uh, Ramya, have yep. a great day. Thanks, Dave. You too. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, Karen McGee will be here. She's got a story about a family, a Canadian family, that is taking a world tour. She'll tell you why beyond it just being, you know, something to do. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Karen McGee is here to tell you what's going on in the central region of the country. And Karen is in Morrisburg, Ontario. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, Dave. Karen, how are you? I'm well. I'm good. I'm boring. (laughs) Still licking your wounds from a little bit of a... I'm boring. I did nothing new. Still looking your wounds from a news quiz lost of the day. I saw you posting about that on social media. It's okay, Karen. You're, I'm not even talking about it. You're going to get back on track. Don't worry. Karen, let's uh, jump into what's going on in the central Canadian region. A family from Montreal is traveling around the world to give their kids a really unique experience. So, Karen, what's the rationale? Why is this trip so important? So I've been following the story since February 2020. Uh, remember that? The before times? Oh, yeah. Um, and it's... 
recently got some traction because CNN picked up on it last week. So Edith LeMay and Sebastian Pelletier and their family um, are from Montreal, and they're doing a tour of the world. So this was originally scheduled to start in 2020, and it was originally scheduled to start in Russia. So a few things have changed. Um, because all four children have been diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, and they want to give their children memories to last a lifetime. They um, were able to start the trip finally in March 2022, so this year, and they've been on the road since. Um, they asked the kids for a bucket list of things they wanted to do before they left on the trip. So for example, their daughter Mia wanted to ride a horse, and one of their sons, Laurent, wanted to drink juice in the back of a camel. That's in my opinion, juice in the back of a camel. Um, they began their trip in Namibia, Namibia um, where they were able to get out close to elephants, zebras, and giraffes. They then went to Zambia, they've been to Tanzania, went to Turkey, and they spent a month in Turkey, and now they're in Mongolia, and they'll be moving on to Indonesia shortly. Wow, getting those stamps on the passport. There's no doubt about that one. So as you mentioned, Karen, there was certainly a little bit of a lag in getting this trip started for very understandable reasons. Is there a way that folks can maybe follow along with this journey as this family is experiencing this? So they are posting to Facebook. Their page is called Le Monde Plein de Lesieurs. And Dave, you're from, you're, from, you're from Quebec, so loosely translated, I believe that means the world in their eyes or the world through their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, Edith mm-hmm. says, thank you. Thank you. Ooh, did it. Edith says social media is allowing her to reach people all over the world. They've been hearing from, from some amazing stories of people um, or families um, who have retinitis pigmentosis in the family. Um, their posts are wonderfully descriptive, and they do translate. Uh, I know for my Facebook, I don't know if I set something up, so I'm not the IT person. You'll have to ask the um, Double Tap TV guys um, that my posts from them automatically translate to English, um, and they're wonderfully descriptive. Um, in fact, a teacher who um, at Quebec in Quebec for students who are blind or have vision loss is among their Facebook followers, and the teacher actually reads the Facebook posts every week to her class. So, it, it's really making an impact on people this this journey. Karen, just before we move on to your next story, so mentioning drinking juice on the back of a camel, that's pretty cool. What is a Karen McGee bucket list item? I think I would like to ride an elephant, even though I know there are some uh, ethical concerns with putting me on an elephant. Um, I actually did my big one of probably in, in 2020, in 2000, 2003. I did my big one. That was swim with the, swim with the dolphins and get up close and personal with dolphins. I know it sounds really lame now, but it was in a wonderful open ocean area in um, uh, Mexico, Jamaica. Sorry, somewhere. I was on a cruise and I did it. And it it was wonderful. That's pretty good. Swimming with the dolphins. Hey, that counts. See, getting in touch with nature. I don't know if I want to be around camels. Apparently they spit. And I don't, I don't need to be around that. I'd rather be hugged by a big elephant yeah. and its big and its big trunk. Uh, Karen, let's jump on to a different story here. The Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario is going to be saying goodbye to their therapeutic clown, Money Penny. So, what made Money Penny so special to the community? You're breaking up a bit there, Dave. So I'm not sure. Uh, uh, Karen, I'm not what, sure if you can hear me. Karen, what made money? Spe- what made Money Penny so special to the community? Thank you. It's probably my internet. Internet. Welcome to the country. Um, so Money Penny's been working at Chio since 2001, and she works to put smiles on patients and their families. Dave, I don't know. I don't know um, if you have had any interaction with her over the years. I know she's a big. Um, she shows up at all the Chio events. She um, is a big part of their fundraisers. She 
She's provided support for thousands of families. Um, she hands out, are you ready for these puns? Brown ease, ease. They're brown colored felt ease. Get it? <laughs> um, stickers, various playthings. She has makes fun of doctors and staff. Um, she's a kind and compassionate ear for moms and dads and kids of all ages. Money Penny was four when she first started, and now that she's five, because it took her a while to turn five, um, yeah. she feels it's time for her to move on. Her last day will actually be Halloween. Um, her alter ego, Ru alter ego Ruth Call was one of the original nurses at Chio, and she's been working there since it opened in 1971. So it really is the end of an era. When we're talking about someone who's been volunteering with sick children for 50 years, there's no doubt there have been a lot of memories. And certainly in the 21 years since Money Penny burst onto the scene, there's a lot of people who've been moved and helped, uh, parents and children, by Money Penny. I'm curious, if people want to, how can they share their memories of this therapeutic clown? So, so people can, people can share their memories of Molly, of, uh, sorry, Molly Pat Penny on the Wichita website. Share a story, drawing good wishes between now and October 31st when she blasts off for good. She's actually going off into space, according to her bio. Um, hard copies of Well Wishes can also be dropped off at the main entrance of Chio. So it's it's a great, uh, great way to give back. Yeah, no doubt about that one. Karen, before your internet completely gives up on us, let's uh, call it a day and we'll talk to you next week for the news quiz. That's about symbolic. That's about symbolic of where Karen's internet's at. Don't, don't worry about Karen saying goodbye. We'll just wave. We'll just wave and That'll be it for Karen. That's Karen McGee, a content development specialist for AMI, who uh, works out of Central Canada and Morrisburg, Ontario, where they do not have very good internet. I've got one more news story to share with you before we say goodbye today. The founder of an apparel company is giving it away in the name of fighting climate change. Aaron Katursky has more. Patagonia has long been privately owned and used its profits for environmental advocacy. Now, though, the 83-year-old founder said he has transferred all ownership of Patagonia to a set of trusts and not-for-profit organizations created to preserve the company's independence and ensure that all of its profits, some $100 million a year, are used to combat climate change and protect undeveloped land around the globe. The announcement came in a press release entitled, in part, Earth is now our only shareholder. Aaron Katursky, ABC News, New York. I'm going to use the cliche that I use over and over and over again. Kindness is not sound policy, but that does not mean we should spit in the face of kindness when we see it. A wonderful idea, a wonderful contribution, something that shows that a person built something from the ground, especially because it was an outdoor apparel company, continuing to appreciate and want to safeguard the great outdoors. It's my one climate change for story for you today. I try to give you at least one a day. So there's your climate change story for the day. And that one is a somewhat positive one. That's all the time we have for the show today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the weekly news panel with Michelle McQuig and Juita Gupta. You'll also hear from Michael McNeely. He took part in this Real Abilities professional development series that we talked about on the show yesterday. And you'll hear from Greg David. Should be a great show tomorrow that kicks off at 9 a.m. Eastern time right here on AMI-tv. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, 
Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.